1973, the Australian Prime Minister made a very controversial decision. He decided to buy a painting. He approved the purchase of a painting for the National Gallery in Australia. Does anybody know what it was? Blue poles. Look at that. I don't even need to preach the rest of my sermon. This is Blue Poles uh, by Jackson Pollock, um, a painting done in abstract expressionist style. And at the time, it was the most expensive painting purchased by the gallery, um, coming in at $1.3 million. And the Prime Minister had to give approval because the gallery director was only approved up to a million dollars, and so he had to get special permission. But you can imagine the controversy, can't you? Um, This piece of art isn't everybody's cup of tea. Um, And it looks like paint spattered on a canvas. Um, There's no discernible shapes or figures. uh, And people questioned even if it was art at all. Uh, Especially when you compare it to the skill required to produce something impressionist um, or realist. Um, And then there was the price at the time. This was a world record for a contemporary American painting. And this was a piece that divided opinion. What do you think? I guess I'd put it on the wall if I had a cool... I don't know what it'd be worth now. It divided opinion. And um, as we uh, open Genesis 1 today, I'm aware that opinion is divided on the story of the world's beginnings. Um, It's divided about the place of humanity amongst the natural world. It's divided about gender and sexuality and human flourishing. Um, There's opinion divided about good and evil and and right and wrong. Um, We're divided on so many things. And even as Christians, we sometimes find ourselves divided on these same issues. And so as we start our new series from Genesis 1 to 11, uh, we find ourselves staring at the painting that God has given us to understand the world. Um, Thankfully, it's not as abstract as blue poles. Um, But just like every painting, what we get in the painting is the details that the artist chooses to reveal to us, uh, what he chooses to include and nothing more. Um, Every brushstroke is deliberate and every element is carefully selected. And our task is to appreciate what the artist has put in front of us. So at Genesis 1 to 11, I think it's a masterpiece. Uh, It paints the foundations of who we are and what we're to think about the world and what we're to think about the one who put us here. Um, These chapters have so much to teach and I'm excited to be opening them over the next couple of months with us as a church. So as we start our journey through these foundational chapters, why don't we ask God, the master artist, to speak to us now through the words that he's left for us in the scriptures. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of the Bible, uh, for your words spoken to us through the pages of the Bible. Will you speak to us now as we open these first chapters of your word? Help us to understand our origins and our purpose and how we relate to you. Will you give us wisdom and insight about ourselves and courage to respond in faith? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So I've titled um, today's uh, sermon beginnings uh, and that comes from the the name of the book genesis uh, when the book was originally written in hebrew um god's people knew it by the first word in the book um that was the name of the book uh, the very first word which in the hebrew was beginnings um and then when it was translated into greek in about 250 bc um the greek word was genesis and the name has stuck with us ever since um and so today's sermon is really a sermon about beginnings uh, the beginning of what we can understand about god and the beginning of what we understand about the world and the place of humanity in it. Um, But today really is just a beginning. Um, I won't have time to say everything about Genesis 1, um, so I encourage you um, in your own Bible reading um, to study Genesis or to keep looking at it over the next few months, or if you're not in a small group, join up to one of our groups and uh, 
get a chance to dig deeper into the text as we work our way through these foundational chapters. But first big idea for today, um, the beginning of God. Um, the beginning of God, first big idea. So as we open Genesis 1, perhaps these are familiar passages for you. You might have uh, learned these first as a child in Sunday school or in kids' Bibles. Um, you might have studied these passages in your um, small groups, or you might have never heard what we just read before. That'd be pretty exciting, wouldn't it, to hear that for the first time. Um, I never heard this until I was... A bit older. Um, but uh, it's okay because the Bible is like a great artwork. Um, every time we gaze into it, um, we see new details. Um, there's new highlights that we didn't see before. And that's one of the gifts of the Scriptures, that God actually changes us as we read His unchanging Word. And it's always got something new for us. Um, actually, even this morning at 8 o'clock as we're reading through it, I noticed something that I hadn't thought of even when I was preparing. Um, so there you go. Every time, God will show us something new. The first thing we notice, though, is about God himself. Um, in the beginning, verse 1, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, so Genesis 1 is first and foremost about God. Um, God's the subject of almost every sentence. Um, he's the one directing the action, and he is unquestionably responsible for every act of creation. And we'll get to the detail of what he creates in just a moment, but, but first look at verse 1 with me for another moment, because... In the first three words, we learn something fundamental about God, and that is that God was there in the beginning, um, before time, in fact, um, and that God is eternal. And Moses puts it like this in Psalm 90. He says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Um, so it's not just that God was there before the beginning of time, um, the implication from Genesis 1-1 is that God was there before the beginning of everything. It's a kind of esoteric idea and it's even difficult to explain, but God was in existence before time, before space, before matter, before atoms and elements and any other scientific word you can think of. Genesis 1-1 tells us that God was there before that. And then Genesis tells us that He created each of those things. Um, he created the heavens and the earth. Um, heavens and earth, it's this idiomatic way of expressing um, everything. You know, when we say the four corners of the earth, we understand that as the whole earth, or the seven seas, we know that's all of the oceans. Well, heavens and earth means he created the heavens and earth and everything in between. Um, it's shorthand for saying he created everything. And for the rest of the chapter, we see exactly what he created, sun, moon, stars, sky, all of that. And God created them when there was nothing there before. And if the words in front of us here are the words that God has given us to understand the world, then God wants us to understand that no matter what science can explain about the universe, everything in creation is here because God put it here. That's what he wants us to understand. Um, the New Testament writer to the Hebrews puts it like this. He says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. So God didn't take stuff that was already there and make it. He made it out of nothing. Um, unlike the other creation stories, um, unlike scientific theories, Genesis 1 is very clear that the God described in this chapter is the creator of the universe. He was before creation and he's responsible for creation. And his means of creating is by speaking. 
Um, he speaks creation into being. And it's this pattern that we see repeated. God says, let there be, and it was so. So um, verse 3, let there be light, and there was light. And then uh, verse 6, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from sky. And it was. And then verse 9, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. And so it continues, God speaks, and creation comes into being. And from these verses, we learn about the creativity of God and the creative power of His Word. When God speaks, creation listens. And um, when you come to the New Testament, the disciples are shocked um, to hear Jesus speak out over the top of a storm that was threatening to sink their boat. Do you remember that story? Jesus speaks and the uh, the storm dies down. And the disciples are saved. And in, in that moment, we see creation responding to the voice of God. As God's own son, Jesus, engages in a moment of recreation, as he calls creation to order, just as the voice of God did on that very first day of creation. Um, But of course, that's jumping ahead in the story a little bit. Let's come back to Genesis 1. Because here's where we learn a third truth about God in Genesis 1. And that's a hint that God exists in more than one person. Um, So look at verse 2 with me. Now, the earth was formless and empty, And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Uh, By the way, the um, the writers of the NIV, or the translators of the NIV, have put the capital S to make it a little bit more clear who they think we're talking about here. Um, The God who speaks is somehow differentiated from his Spirit. Um, And to help us understand the difference, the the Spirit's pictured as this hovering bird. Um, In Deuteronomy uh, 32, there's a a mother bird who hovers over her chicks and uh, attends to its young. And perhaps the Spirit of God here waits to attend the forming creation. Um, St. Augustine calls this um, a faint glimpse of the Trinity. He'll, he'll say this is a faint glimpse of the Trinity. Um, it's our first hint that God's Spirit will play a role in shaping creation and its creatures. Um, the Hebrew word for Spirit can also be translated as breath. And so there's a relationship between God's creative word, breathed out and the spirit who's somehow involved in the creative process so I feel like a lecture at this point it's I thought it was so fascinating and again we're just trying to look at the text in front of us so these verses they don't tell us how the spirit works in creation um, but God paints a picture of the spirit that implies his creative participation and if we're to jump ahead to what we know of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament um, and his work in transforming us in Christ, um, it should come as no surprise here to see the Spirit is shaping the clay of creation and bringing shape according to God's will. But again, that's jumping ahead to what we already know because we've read the rest of the story. So even in these first couple of verses, we get the idea that God exists as more than one person, um, Augustine's faint glimpse of the Trinity. And that faint glimpse uh, is strengthened even more as you come down to verse 26 when God is creating humanity. And he says this, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. There's more than one person doing this creating, although it's all one person. As we said before, Genesis 1 is a book of beginnings, but intricate details like this are here for a reason. And because we've read the end of the story, um, we know that, but what we see here is the beginnings of ideas that are revealed more and more fully as we read further through the Scriptures. So that's our first big idea from Genesis 1. We see the beginnings of what we know about God, um, His eternal nature, His creative power, and the hint that there's some kind of relationship within the Godhead um, where we have both 
God and the Spirit of God. And of course, we just read John chapter one before where John makes it very clear that the third person is the Son who is the Word, who is the beginning. Number two, the beginnings of creation. So our second idea from Genesis 1 is, is what it tells us about the beginnings of the world and the universe. Now, as I said before, Genesis 1, we read it out of a, a worldview that is heavily influenced by science. Um, that's how we read it. That's, that's the worldview that we come from, heavily influenced by science and scientific theories of the origins of the world. Well, that wasn't the case for the first hearers or readers of these words. So the Bible tells us that Moses was the author of the first five books of the Old Testament. And so we believe with all Scripture that God spoke it and breathed it out. And uh, he spoke them to Moses and Moses recorded them for us. Don't know when he did it. Was it at the burning bush? Was it in Mount Sinai? Was it at the, the tent of meeting? I don't know. But what we do know is that God inspired these words that we have. And we trust that these are God's words revealing the early history of God's dealings with the world. And so imagine the, um, the Israelites, they're wandering in the desert for 40 years. It gives us a better understanding of the worldview that these words were written into and the context. So the Israelites, they just escaped Egypt with its sun gods, its, its moon gods, all of the gods, its fertility rituals um, linked to the Nile. And now they're wandering in the Mesopotamian wilderness. Um, and the people around them, their creation story started with a chaotic sea and terrifying monsters and gods that were at war with one another. And uh, in, in the Mesopotamian creation myth, um, people were made from the blood of a god who was executed for treason. And that's the story of the Enuma Eilish, by the way, the Babylonian creation story from 1700 BC. It's kind of the one that would have been around. And the point is this, the Bible count stands in stark opposition to that other creation account and to all other creation accounts. The Bible actually stresses the unity of God, unlike the warring um, of the pagan gods. And the Bible makes everything in creation a deliberate act of God. Um, so the chaotic sea of the Babylonian myth, well, God rejects that because nothing is out of his control. When you look at God's story, God actually creates everything in the sea, he speaks life into the sea and he creates the great creatures of the sea and, and all of the other intricate living things with which the ocean teems. And so the sea is not to be feared, verse 20. God looks at the sea and he says, it is very good. Or he says it's good in verse 20. Do you see the contrast? He blesses the creatures of the ocean. They're not to be feared. And it's the same with every other detail of creation. Unlike the chaos of the pagan myths, God goes about creation in an orderly fashion. Um, there's a progression through days one to three where God separates things. He separates light and darkness, water and sky and land and sea. And then in days four to six, he fills those realms. He puts sun and moon and stars into place and, and he fills the sea with fish and birds, and the, or the air with birds anyway, and, um, and then the land with animals. And God's declaration that he speaks over everything, he speaks over it and he says it is good. So creation is orderly, creation is deliberate, and creation is good. And God's intention in creating everything is good also. Creation is not out of God's control. It's not built as the puppet theater of cruel and fickle gods. Um, this world is not predicated on war and terror and death and chaos. Those are not the natural state of the way that God created this world, even though we see them around us now. So look again at the refrain that's uh, repeated six times in this chapter. 
the, the, the refrain that it was good. So God saw the light was good and, and then he created the ground and the seas and he says they are good. And then verse 13, he produces vegetation and he sees that it is good. And then verse 16, the sun, the moon and the stars, it was good. Fish and birds, it was good. Wild animals and livestock and they were all good. That is what God says about everything. We're not to be left in any doubt about the goodness of God's creation. God wants us to know that his intention in creating was to create it good. Um, at the moment of creation, there was nothing that was not good. Somebody asked me this week, um, were there flies and mosquitoes at creation? I guess if they were there, they must have been good. <laughs> Maybe not as frustrating as these days. Um, there's a movie where the flies and the mosquitoes and the cockroaches do housework. Do you know that movie? Um, April, not April Adams, what's her name? Amy Adams, Enchanted. It's very funny. Um, <laughs> she, she's, she's in our world. She sings a song and all the cockroaches come and help her do the house cleaning. Um, very funny. Ironic, of course. Now, the point is that God wants us to know that he created everything good. And more than that, God wants us to know that he created everything good for our sake. And this brings us to our last big idea, idea which is the beginnings of humankind. So this is where we get to the climax of Genesis 1. Um, after doing all of that forming and filling in verses 22 to 25, uh, 2 to 25, now the world is complete and teeming with life. Um, now that everything is ready, God creates humanity, humankind. Verse 26, um, well, I might not have a slide for this one. Then God said, let us make mankind, I'm going to read humankind here, but let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they might rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Out of all of creation, humans are the only ones created in God's image. And that's the topic of next week's sermon, so we'll expand then. But out of all creation, humanity is given this special dignity of being made in the image of God and in His likeness. And, and instead of being merely another creature within creation, God sets humanity above the other creatures, giving us a special role of ruling over creation. And again, we'll talk more about that next week. God comes to the end of the sixth day and He looks at all of everything, the way that He's ordered it, and this is what He said. God saw all that He had made and it was very good. It was very good. I mean, one way, Genesis tells us a lot about creation. And in another, another way, it doesn't tell us everything that we want to know. Um, I read one commentator who said, there's almost no historical particularity. In other words, I want more historical details. And you don't get it, do you? Um, and there's another commentator, he said, well, this isn't a biology textbook. And he's right as well, isn't it? It's not a biology textbook. It doesn't answer biological questions or evolutionary concerns or young earth issues. It's not a systematic theology. It's not an encyclopedia. Genesis 1 doesn't fit into those kind of genres of literature. Instead, Genesis 1 is what it is. It's this poetic picture. It's rhythmical. It's, it paints pictures with words so we can understand what the artist wants us to understand, what he wants to communicate to us. And perhaps it's only as much as we can understand. Genesis 1 is a masterpiece. It, it hints, it teases, it, it intrigues, and it draws us in. But for all the questions it raises, it leaves us with absolutely no questions about God's intention in creation. Our God is a good God and He intended creation to be very good. 
with humans as the pinnacle of his creation, enjoying his blessings, that much is clear. So as we go into this week, I want you to remember the goodness of God and the blessings of God and do two things. The first thing is, I want us to look for the good in creation. Um, It's not hard to notice the bad in the world, is it? But I want us to be people who look for the good and praise God for it. Wouldn't it be amazing this week if we went through our week reflecting on God's goodness and His desire to bless us and to actually think through all of the blessings in the old-fashioned way of saying it, counting your blessings. Um, We'll talk more next week about um, God being faithful to His promise of blessings, but why don't you look at your own life and praise God for the way that He's blessed you in so many different ways. That's the first idea, look for the good. Second idea is be agents of good. Um, that is, I want us to reflect on how we can honour God with our lives and with our thoughts and, um, and how we treat creation and the way that we treat other people. Um, we'll talk more about it next week, but in God's good plan, He created us to be good, just like Him. And in Jesus Christ, He's recreating us to be just like His Son, who is good. So that in the world, we actually bring good and not evil. We speak words of blessing and not curse. We bring love and not hate. So this week as a church, what if we look for the good and we decide to be agents of good? Not because we're good in ourselves, but because God has showed us who we are and who we're going to be if we follow Christ into all of eternity. I'm going to pray for us that we'll be a church who is good this week. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray this week that we would see all of your creation and remember